Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, episode number 96, presented by the Seven Line. Oh, baby, the boys got a sweep of the Phillies this past weekend, Memorial Day weekend, a little bit later episode. Uh, the boys have been busy. I was at a wedding this weekend for my cousin. James is back home. Memorial Day festivities, it happens. But hey, you still got the episode out for you, and we are so so amped to just talk endless trash on this Philadelphia Phillies team <laughs> who we've seemingly played in feels like every other series this year and we've kind of stomped them it's been really really nice and it was a great way to cap it off with this sweep here to basically end the month of May so we'll go over all the games that happened this past weekend as well as preview the Washington National Series so if you guys do enjoy it make sure you're following us on all our social media at Mets Up as well as the YouTube channel Mets Up Podcast if you're listening to us Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Podcasts Wherever you listen, drop us a rating, drop us a review. It really does help us out. Without further ado, let's bring in James. How you doing? Good, brother. Good, brother. Solid weekend. Solid weekend for both of us here. Great weekend. And the Mets sweep just makes it that much better. I mean, we were kind of busy, so if the Mets lost, it probably would have been okay because we had other things going on. But a Mets sweep on top of a great weekend, I, I can't ask for much more. No, definitely. Especially just knowing that we had so many games against this Phillies team and that it was going to be a lot of games, a very short period of time, something that I talked a lot about before the season, even the beginning of it, that was going to kind of set the tone for this first kind of sector of the season, the quarter, the half, whatever you want to call it, and the quarter, the third, whatever you want to call it, we've done so far. And this flying colors, like a big reason for this Mets incredible start and the Mets being one of the best teams in baseball right now is our handling of the Philadelphia Phillies. There's no two ways about that. I mean, we have single-handedly made the Phillies, like, I don't want to say like uncompetitive because it's still, again, 50 games into the season, but... They're 10 games back of the National League East, 50 games into the season, and a big reason why is because we have just handled them. We have not struggled against the Phillies really at all this year, and this sweep, I think, just further proved we are the better team. And that was something I know you said coming into the season. It was This was a, this was a test over the entire stretch going up to June because of how many games we played, and the Mets passed it with flying colors, I think. Absolutely. And talk about like what we've done to this team. Like The Mets have single-handedly put Joe Girardi on the hot seat. The Mets have single-handedly made the Phillies realize that Corey Knievel is probably not the answer they thought they were getting at the back end of their bullpen. The Mets have made the Phillies, guess, question their entire lineup decision. I feel like have we played this team 12 times, like their lineup has been drastically different every, in every single series we've played them. They're just constantly tinkering because they're not really playing that well. And there's probably a hot streak in this team. They're too talented for there not to be if Bryce Harper can ever throw a ball again and actually give them competent outfield defense, relatively speaking. But it's amazing. It's incredible. It's just- it's nice because it seems like in every facet of the game, we are just better than the Phillies, which overall makes us a better team. It feels like every game, they have some problem with their bullpen, their defense makes a blunder, makes an error, makes a bad play, something stupid that costs them runs. Like, you feel for guys like Zach Wheeler, a former Met, because he pitched really, really well yesterday, and even after the first inning, like, he kind of was able to clean it up, but it's just really, really hard to win when they don't make 
almost any play is behind you. I mean, Johan Camargo, I think, is the only guy who ever makes a play because he owns the Mets for some reason. But everyone else, Schwarber, Castellanos, and Odubo Herrera in the outfield is a mess. No, it's a disaster. We should just start with that game because your heart doesn't go over Zach Wheeler because he's such a good pitcher. And even in that first inning where the Mets jumped on the Phillies again, as they seemingly have done almost every time they played them this year, like there wasn't really any reason why a rally should have occurred in that first inning. Like it started with a fly ball to left field that an average left fielder would have caught against Luis Guillorme. But Kyle Schwarber gets turned around, can't make a play, winds up being a double. Phillies defense just pours it on after that. There was a ground ball that Francisco Lindor hit to Reese Hoskins with first and third, nobody out. And you could see in real time his brain just completely decomposing inside of his head and dripping out of his left ear. I love, I love seeing Reese Hoskins do that stuff. I tweet out immediately, sick play, Reese, sick play. Like, it was such a tailor-made double play that would have been so huge in that inning for the Phillies. Could change the whole outlook of this game. And he just, he just fucked it up. He's a bad first baseman. He also, I mean, you shout out Johan Camargo. Johan Camargo also should have just realized what was going on, just gotten the out sitting there. It looked like he probably could have had the out either. It seems like that call was not what I would have made, being as yeah. the neighborhood play where that was the Chase Utley rule, which we also passed the anniversary of, uh, of the ass in the jackpot this weekend. I guess we'll talk about that when that comes up. But usually now, if you're just kind of around the base and you kind of just drag your foot around it within reason of you having the ball, you should get the out. I thought Stark Marte should have been out at second base. And Johan Camargo, for some reason, threw it home. I don't know. It was a weird play. Just it, This whole team just drags each other down. I mean, part of that, too, I think has to be that Johan Camargo is not really a shortstop either. He's playing shortstop because that team has not figured out that's one of the most important positions on the field, it seems like. They've they've understood catcher's important, but shortstop, they don't care. Center field, they don't care. And it's like, maybe this is why you guys don't play good baseball, because you just don't seem to really understand what it takes to build a good team. Once this rally was over, the Mets were winning 3-0 in the first inning, and if it does feel like the Mets are scoring in almost every single first inning, it's kind of because it's been true for the last few weeks. Sunday night was the 19th time the Mets scored the run the first inning this year, which is a ridiculously high number. And with that, it was a 14th time they did so in May. That's an insanely high number. It's like almost half of the games. It was only May 29th. I mean, they came out swinging hot. Marte smoked the ball, too, in that first inning. He hit the hardest ball of the season, and it was like, you should have hit it softer because we couldn't send Guillaume on that. All the other plays happened. But yeah, I mean, the Mets, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's game plan. I don't know if it's just they're they're feeling the crowd. They're excited. They're ready to go. But the Mets come out swinging the first inning. And then they like to do that thing where they disappear for about six innings. Yeah, and also that's because Zach Wheeler is incredibly good. And we knew yeah. this was going to happen. That first inning, getting three runs against him was a was a legitimate miracle. Yeah. And you knew like from that moment, like there was he was not going to let anything else happen. There was that little rally, I believe it was the third inning, where Lador was up with the man on third. And just went out. He struck out against Zach Wheeler. This was just because it was Zach Wheeler. Shit like that happens. The Phillies also got a run back in the third. But that 3-1 to score held for a very, very long time in this game. Chris Bassett, again, just doing the Chris Bassett thing. Being a really solid pitcher. I saw a great gif uh, by Pitching Ninja on Twitter. Where it's like, I wish that I could think about pitches as much as Chris Bassett does on the mound. He was like, shook off Mazzica. No. No, like six times. It's like, what pitch? Wait, what pitch are you looking for? And then they eventually switched to Pitchcom, which I don't know if you caught that, but him and Mazika, they always seem to never be on the same page, but it doesn't really matter because Bassett, again, while he maybe wasn't as sharp as he has always been, still really good. Dude, I think, again, it's just because he has six pitches and he threw all six of them again and he threw five of them, all of his pitches besides the changeup, at least 11 times. 
Wow. So he threw five, he threw 100 pitches total in this game. He threw five of them over 10% of the time. So that's, again, how you get into all these shakeoffs here. But by the end of the start, Bassett went six innings, had seven strikeouts, gave up two hits, one earned run, just one walk, and only three hard hit balls to this prolific Phillies offense. And what, two of them had to have been those like hard lineouts that Bryce Harper had that just got caught because City Field plays so big, I would think. One was the very long flyout that looked like it was it was Gonzo. But yeah, yeah I mean, it froze in my seat. Yeah, I think <laughs> that was over there. And then David Cohn. I love listening to David Cohn call a Mets game. Sometimes I want David Cohn to call more than one game a month. And overall, I don't think the ESPN crew does as well as nowhere close to as well as anything the Mets could put out there. Even with the Mets B team goes, even Wainer and Dazzle goes in the TV booth. It's still, it's still miles ahead of ESPN. But like oh, he. For sure. He's so knowledgeable about pitching. It's fun to listen to him talk about it. And he uh, he was going crazy over Chris Bassett's sinker, saying how that's the bread and butter. That's the pitch he's always looking for. They had Pete mic'd up for a few innings, and he kept talking about the Bassett sinker, the Bassett sinker, the Bassett sinker. He got four whiffs with it, four called strikes, didn't allow a uh, ball in play over 100 miles an hour. It was a great pitch. It was a great pitch. He was putting it all over the zone all night, inside and outside, righties and lefties. His color looked great, too. He had every single thing working in a way that just was able made him able to compete against Zach Wheeler. Where the Basset Hounds at? <laughs> the Basset Hounds. I mean, he just comes out every five days and gives us exactly what we need. And then that linked into Drew Chains, who, oh, man, Drew, Drew Smith. He was looking good again. Looked like he was, you know, kind of clicking again. And ground ball up the middle, sticks that bare hand out, and it looks like he fucked up his pinky. Dude, I know you were at the game, but just watching on TV, Coney was like, I think it's something wrong with his pinky. And they showed Drew Smith's pinky just hanging off his finger, just oh, like bending the other way. No. It was gross. It wasn't as gross as it could have been. And also not as gross as other pitchers because while Joelli was warming up after because you get limited time to warm up in between, they were showing the booth with Ravi and uh, David Cohn and Eduardo Perez. And David Cohn revealed that his right pinky has been deformed like his entire career. Because on something similar, I don't remember if it was on, he said, in a comeback or in a play where he was hitting, but he shattered his pinky at one point in his career. Oh. And he said he never, he just never got it fixed. Like, it just healed wrong. Like, he didn't really wear his splint. He wasn't really on top of it. And his pinky is literally like a claw. It's like deformed and facing the wrong way. Dude. And he talked about how once that happened, he was like kind of bummed about it. But then he, when he started pitching again, he realized that the pinky, the way it was clicked, made it sit off in his hand now. And all of his pitches started moving more. So he was like, yeah, I just, start, I just started pitching with it. And he said he compared himself to uh, Three Finger Brown, Mordecai Brown from like the 1920s who lost a finger and a half in a farming accident and just gave him a wicked curveball. Yeah, as soon as that ball got hit up the middle and I saw his put out his hand, I went, Drew, no, not the bare hand, Drew, not the bare hand. <laughs> and even funnier with that, earlier in the game, there was a dribbler behind Bassett that Guillaume was positioned well for. Made a nice backhanded play over the bag. And my dad's like, that's a great play by Bassett. Not trying to do too much, knowing his defender's right behind him, letting that ball get through. Also, because Bassett just, Phillies put 12 balls in play, nine of them were on the ground. So a yeah. lot, lot of balls on the ground in this game in general. But yeah, once Drew Smith sucked that out, I was like, fuck. Yeah, and again, since you said, you know, I was at the game you were watching on TV, after that play, he was walking around the mound for like a good minute. Screaming. Screaming. He was yeah. screaming. And then like Lindor and Guillaume went over to him and were like, can we see your hand? And then they saw, they're like, someone's got to come. He can't pitch. Like, look at his pinky. There's no way. He was, Drew Smith was trying his hardest to stay out there. And then Hefner came out. They looked and they're like, stop. Don't be ridiculous. You're coming out of this game. Well, did we get a diagnosis officially? Yeah, after the game, they just said it was dislocated finger. X-rays were negative, so he is day-to-day. So hopefully we'll have him back for the Dodgers next weekend. Maybe just a nice couple, three days off here, beat the Nationals a few times, and have Drew Smith back. Luckily, thank God he avoided major injury because that was 95 off the bat, and it, it could have exploded his pinky if it hit it at the wrong angle. Yeah, no, we need Drew Smith on this team healthy because when he's in that bullpen, this team is better as we Yeah, a lot. And Joelle did come in. 
and looked fine. He didn't. He wasn't like the sharpest after the up down that inning. But Joelle is the king of coming in throwing one pitch and getting out of an inning. People have tweeted that too. I would love to like find a way statistically look that up to see how many one pitch outings I could find for Joelle this year. But he does it like more frequently than anybody I've ever noticed like ever. When he comes in and he's fresh, he's money. It's just it's the sit and then the come back up, and it seems like he's just never really particularly prepared for that. And I'm not I'm not going to blame Buck for this one because obviously that was not the plan to go to Joelle. They thought Drew Smith was going to be able to finish the inning. But, I mean, Joel does what he does. He gets the lefties out. He's going to be a little erratic at times. But at the end of the day, he's still pretty good in this bullpen. Dude, he th- it seems like the arm slot which he throws from makes him more susceptible to not getting calls on certain corners of the plate, especially coming as a lefty, coming to the right side of the plate as if he's facing it. He seems like he consistently misses calls on that corner. On the walks he gave up. In the eighth inning, leadoff to Johan Camargo, which you can't do. You can't walk the leadoff, the leadoff man who's also the ninth header ahead of the top of the Phillies order. Awful there. But there was a call right on the corner there with two strikes and three balls, full count, that it just kind of nipped it and looked, it really looked good. It came up as K-Zone K on ESPN. It didn't work. And you missed another one like that to Alec Bohm to put two men on for what eventually became the, uh, the Nick Castellanos three-run homer, which we can talk yeah. about here for a second. But it just seems like... The, I don't know. Maybe it's his arm slot. Maybe it's just uh, maybe umpires don't like him. Maybe it's just they are actually balls and the K-Zones are screwing it up. It's, every single time he tries to nip that corner, it gets missed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really tough angle, too. But you would think because of the lefty coming inside to the righty, that it, could, it would almost fool the umpire more that he'd be able to get more inches. I think it's because, like, the ball's kind of, like, intercepting through the strike zone, but then still winding up in the glove a little bit outside the zone. Like You know what I mean? Like, if he's coming from the lefty to go inside to a righty, it's like shooting across the plate, goes like... Can- yeah, it's like like think about the box right now, but like three dimensional, and you're going through the corner of it, but you're still winding up on the outside of it once you're already behind it. Yeah, yeah. So ba- like essentially, where it's being caught is not where it crosses the plate, but because the umpires are stupid and it's they, it is moving ninety miles. No, yeah, it's not it's not an easy call. It's, yeah, it's not easy, but uh, you you see it caught outside of the zone, so you're like, oh, that's a ball. Like it, it's not a strike. I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom right now. I just saw David Cohn sign ball. I forgot I had. That's on my desk. There you go. Yeah, met, met him, I think, in, like, a sports authority or something. Or like, you met Dave Cohn in a sports authority? Either David Cohn or Al Leiter. I have the Al Leiter one right here, too. Met Al Leiter in sports authority. Good pitchers. Good pitchers. Local guys, of course. But anyway, back to the game. We talked about Joely. We got to talk about Adovino, though. This was a situation that I felt okay with. Adovino's been good at times. He... He does the Adam Adovino thing. He either is untouchable or he can't find the strike zone sometimes. Like, it just happens. But you, being those two guys that we think he is, like, throwing that first Frisbee slider to Nick Castellanos that he missed by four feet, I was like, oh, we have good Adovino tonight. This yes. should be okay. Yeah, I thought, I, I, when I saw that swing, I said, throw it again. And then he threw the fastball and went by him. I said, throw the slider again. And then he threw that fastball up and in to a guy who's dead red, who crushes, crushes up and in fastballs. That's, like, one of the hottest zones for him when you look at, like, OPS per, you know, section and, of the strike zone. And he just crushes fastballs in general. The Castellanos always been a dead red hitter. Absolutely smoked it. I froze in my seat. I did not get up to even see because I said, that's gone. That was hit way too hard. The most annoying part about this, besides that, you know, the Mets blew the lead, was that we had these two idiot Mets fans. And I don't like saying this because I love all the Mets fans. But don't be these Mets fans. We said don't be chanting overrated this weekend at Bryce Harper. Luckily, I didn't hear that at the game. I heard no overrated chants. I heard a few on Friday, especially as the game got later. Just a few. Not early, later. Okay. I didn't hear overrated, but we had two idiots sitting down the line who might have been maybe 20 years old who were probably having some of their first alcoholic beverages because they were blasted in the first inning. Every pitch that Harper and Castellanos were up. You guys are frauds. You're frauds. Harper, you, you, you don't got a good eye. 
Castellanos, you you can't hit. You hit for no power. I was like, oh my god. I was like, shut up, shut up. And then they were screaming that, and then the ball leaves, and we had Philly fans around us, and immediately started giving them shit, which that's completely fair. I was cool with that because I didn't like these guys, but oh, I hate I hate that so much. Talk shit to Odubel Herrera. Don't talk shit to Nick Castellanos, oh, yeah. who's a prolific hitter. Stott, Camargo, yeah, even Real Muso right now. Talk shit to all these guys, but I don't. Not these two. And again, you just kind of leave wondering like why why that pitch was a fastball. Like, whose idea was it to throw a fastball there? You just, and I don't know. I don't know if it was Mazika. I don't know if it was Adovino. I don't know if it was a dugout. I have no idea who called that pitch, but it was incredibly incorrect. It wasn't even, again, in a bad spot. Like, it was an up-and-in fastball that was, like, kind of, like, blackish cornerish. It's just he seemed to be completely prepared for the fastball and completely reserved to the fact that if Adam Adovino threw him a slider, he would have struck out. It was just yeah. you're bailing him out in this situation. And that was deflating. But I will say, again, I was sitting next to a Philly fan that I was at the game with. Uh, shout out to Shelfie, if you guys know him on YouTube. I won't be the show guy. He was like, six outs. This game's far from over. He's like, I've seen this way too many times. He goes, we still have to get six outs. And granted, they got three really easy ones in the really eighth. Really Sir Anthony, when, when Sir Anthony's on, he's one of the nastiest relievers in baseball. I'm willing to say that. True, and even before that, the Mets couldn't score against Brad Foote for the second time this series, which was ridiculous. Cause Did you call him Brad whip- Foote? Yeah, Brad Foote. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that was a, a conscious choice. No, it was intentional. I was yelling that at him. I, I was down low on Friday night at the game, and I kept yelling Brad Foote, and people around me were, were loving it. They were laughing, so I'm just going to stick with it for a while. Yeah, that's a funny one. Brad Foote's good. <laughs> Brad, and then same with Yuri's Familia. Like, we couldn't touch him. Familia hasn't given up a run against the Mets this year. <laughs> because this is – we, me and you were always – fighting for familia we're like we get it like he does do this shit every once in a while we're like he can't find the strike zone but he's his stuff is so filthy there's just no one who throws a 99 mile an hour sinker like he does in baseball no and at this point the mets had gone eight seven straight innings without even scoring a run and only getting close a time or two so i was like all right fuck this is it i mean we don't sweep teams this is okay it's sunday night we won the first two tomorrow's memorial day like take another series win we can go to the bank with this one. Really can't be upset about this. I would have loved to step on the throat, but it's fine that we didn't. And then, at the clear blue sky, after you text me, why is Nick Plummer coming up right now? The first pitch that he saw against Corey Kniebel, right in the inner half, he just spun on it and sent it into the Coca-Cola corner. Dude, no- <laughs> I have some gift where when I, when I slander whoever is hitting on the bottom of the order of the Mets, I did it with Guillaume back in 2019. I did it with Mazika this year. And literally as soon as I hit, why is he hitting and sent it to you and my dad? I doubled down. I sent it to two people. Boom, crack of the bat again. I'm like, oh, Nick Plummer. I almost put out a tweet. I'll change my last name to Plummer. Like I thought about it. I was like, <laughs> It's another perfect time to maybe get another viral tweet. He just, he was so ready for that fastball. And Corey Kadeva put it in a beautiful spot for him to hit. And he put it in the upper deck too. Coca-Cola corner. Crushed. Anthony Tacoma had a great, great, great tweet after that home run. A crazy stat about Plummer and the Mets in general. Oh, I know it, but say it. Nick Plummer is the 14th Met in history to have his first career hit be a home run. The last Mets pitching coach, Jeremy Hefner. 10 years ago to the day. To the day. To the day. That's, I mean, that was sick. That was awesome from Nick Plummer. They've also been playing the uh, Super Mario Bros. or Super mm-hmm. Mario theme song when he comes up to the plate. And when he was running around the bases, they played the theme song when you hit the flagpole in Mario. And they're yeah. like... Yeah. I'm such an idiot that I always thought that Nick Plummer had the, the Mario theme song just because he liked video games, not even realizing that his name is Plummer. Yeah, Plummer. And Mar- Mario Plummer. was a plumber. <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. It was great. That was like, whoa. And then McNeil comes up, and I'm like, hey, 
Maybe a little back-to-back. McNeil swung the bat well on Saturday night. We didn't. We went down quietly the rest of the inning. But this, this is where it gets really exciting. Edwin Diaz comes in for the 10th. The Trumpets, after a home run, first home run of his career, first hit, the stadium was jumping. It was electric. It was one of the most electric entrances I've seen of Diaz. And the stadium was completely dead before that plumber swing. Oh, it was was dead. Absolutely no life whatsoever. Like four hours into a game, Mets hadn't scored in like almost three full hours, and it was just, there was no juice at all. Like even on the broadcast, they were talking about like, wow, this place was really loud a few minutes ago, and now we haven't heard anything. Yeah, no, it got really, really quiet. I think Ravish said, there's a lot of people here for it to be this quiet. (laughs) And you know what? He wasn't wrong, and I can't blame him. It was a really, I'm going to be annoying here, it was a really boring game after the first inning until the eighth inning. Like, it's just kind of how it was. Yeah, pick it up in the 10th, Edwin Diaz had a shutdown inning with the ghost runner on second base to keep the game tied. And when a game stays tied in extra innings like that, you put the home team in just the catbird seat. It takes a lot for neither team to score an extra inning. And Edwin Diaz puts him position for the win. Francisco Lindor, I was bitching and moaning. He struck out to lead that inning off with the man on second. I was really pissed. That was the second time he had a man scoring position less than two outs in this game, and I was very upset. But Eduardo Escobar. Eduardo found a way. Yep, we were talking about why is he hitting fifth. Cause... I was talking so much about the game. Pete Alonso got intentionally walked twice in this game. Yeah. He's already been intentionally walked five times this year. His previous career high is six. Yeah, it's he can't hit Eduardo Escobar fifth. But in this game, it ended up working out in the end. Do I think that's the decision we should continue to make going forward? No, I don't think Escobar should be hitting fifth. I don't think he would be with Nimmo and McNeil in the lineup when those guys are back and ready to go. But in this scenario, it worked. He also came off of making that nice play, reaching over the uh, guardrail on the third baseline in the inning before. So it was nice, and it felt like he needed that. It felt like he was he got the hit, and almost like a weight was lifted off his shoulder. Like, I know I've been playing like shit, but I got the hit when we needed it. Ah, like, thank God. I, that's he, he was pressing. He was pressing. His bat looked slow. He did not look good, but he got around on that one. And also, wait, we have to talk about the big thing, too, that we were able to intentionally walk Bryce Harper in the 10th with Diaz on the mound, because they put in Roman Quinn for defense for Nick Castellanos. So Roman Quinn had first and second with two outs in the 10th inning. And, I mean, he stinks, so he was out. He, he, he had nothing. But I was like, oh, Joe Girardi, once again, thank you. Like, Joe Girardi has to, if you're going to commit to defense, commit to it. Don't just do it in the ninth inning of the game. A one-run game with Corey Canable on the mound. There's a good chance Nick Castellanos hits. You might as well just start Roman Quinn over Odubel Herrera if you really care about that much and then bring Odubel in to hit fourth because at least he's not a disaster at the plate like Roman Quinn. Not a disaster. Roman Quinn's just not a hitter. He's not on this team to, to hit. Odubel Herrera's not on this team seemingly to do anything, but he at least can hit better than Roman Quinn. Yeah, it's just this this Phillies roster is a complete mess. I don't I don't know what they do. If the hot streak doesn't come for the Phillies in the summer, I don't even think Joe Girardi makes it through. Which would be great. That would be great. I don't think it'd be great. I love playing as Joe Girardi. He is probably the worst manager in baseball. Yeah, they'll probably bring back like Charlie Manuel, I bet you, or they'll get like Larry Boa back because that just that feels like a Philly thing. They again doesn't seem like they're very forward thinking on the offensive or defensive side of the baseball. So I'm sure like ah, we need another old school guy in here that can really get it back into shape. I met Charlie Manuel at the um, at the home run derby in 2019 when I was in Cleveland. I drove up there with my buddies, and uh, we were just we got there early and we just like got Gatorade bottles. Drank half the Gatorade, filled the other half of vodka, and we literally planted ourselves in the hotel right next to the progressive field, and we just walked around trying to meet as many people as possible. We met Charlie Manuel, we met Rob Manfred, we met uh, Nick Wright, the asshole from Fox Sports. But yeah, Charlie, Charlie's a great guy. I had probably like a fifteen minute conversation with Charlie, and he had That's that like southern so long. Yeah, he's like that nice southern droll. Like he was really nice. He wanted to talk about baseball. He was cool. But he's another guy I'd love to see manage my least favorite team in baseball. Yeah, and it's it's great. That was a great way to cap off the series. We got the sweep. 
feeling good. Let's talk about the other games, though, because obviously we're not just going to talk about one game in this episode. We still have two more to go over because there was some stuff to talk about and start off with game one now where they push back Zach Eflin for Bailey Falter to make the start. And boy, oh boy, was that a mistake. For no reason whatsoever. There's a great clip on Twitter so about the Phillies post-game guys just freaking the fuck out that Zach Eflin was pushed back to start this game. Talk about how much money he makes. Basically how this generation is soft. You got to try and put that in here when you edit it because it's okay. like 30 seconds of these guys losing their minds about Bailey Falter being in instead of Zach Eflin. To push Zach Eflin's start until tomorrow. Whoever made that decision, whether it was John Middleton, whether it was Dave Dombrowski, whether it was, as was suggested in the pregame program, the performance people, uh, or whether it was Zach Eflin himself and said, you know what, I need another day. Um, please stand up and be counted. Please have the guts to let us know, we the fans of this team who want to know Know that why Zach Eflin couldn't pitch today, why he was pushed back. I mean, there's probably a reason for it, but I'll tell you what, if it was Joe Girardi's decision, because you know what, I just don't play my players like that. I want to make sure that they are as healthy as can be. They, they just make, you know, they don't make enough money for me to expect them to go out on regular rest. Then take a hike, Joe. Take a bleeping hike, because we're sick of it. You know, we're sick of it. I want to know whose decision it was to push back Zach Eflin's start. It's absolutely, again, if he's injured, then by all means, you got to do it. But this old kind of amorphous, we don't know why he was pushed back. Yeah. He was asked about Joe Girardi, asked about Bailey Falter three days ago. And he just kind of, well, that's not, I have nothing to do with it. Who did have something to do with it? Yeah, they told Girardi to take a hike. That if it's hit, if, if you decided to push back Zach Eflin, you need to take a hike. And it's like, okay, hold on. It's Zach Eflin. Also, I think this was more of a pushback for Wheeler than I think it was for Eflin. Probably. Probably need an extra day. But also, I don't know. Maybe you still could have done Eflin Falter Wheeler just to start, try to start the series off, not with Bailey Falter, because the Mets just got all over him immediately. And again, it wasn't really as much of a fault to himself as I think people made out to believe. Like, Bailey Falter, I don't really think, pitched poorly at the start. The game got away from him, of course. The Phillies probably shouldn't have left him in as long as they did. But first play of the game was a very casual ground ball to shortstop, and Bryson Stotts just threw it into the first row. He didn't get to listen to Uncle Cracker before the game when he came to the no, plate. That's yeah. why. He, the ball drifted away. Oh, <laughs> nice. Good one. I see what you did there. And then after that, Sully Marte had a single. Francisco Lindor had a walk. And then we had back-to-back sack flies that were 230 feet away from home plate to Noodle Arm Castellanos. And neither play was even competitive. He has one of the worst arms I've ever seen of an outfielder. It's it's like it's it's that of a child. It's almost shocking that he came up as a third baseman. Like why was he ever trying to make that throw either? How how was he not a first baseman? How? And maybe it's because Miguel Cabrera was already there in Detroit when he had come up and they knew he couldn't play there. I get yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's just it's shocking to me that he hasn't found his way to play first base consistently. I know they also have Reese Hoskins, but it's not like Reese Hoskins is really playing particularly well this year either. So Yeah, Reese Hoskins still is I mean he's not he's heading better of late kind of ish, but also, Nimmo and Marte both coming around to score on those sack flies. Those guys are both very fast runners. That's not a joke. But it's just, it was like almost bullying when when we hit the second fly ball to Nick Castellanos in that inning. And he like took this massive crow hop and he's like, eh. And the like ball rolled into the catcher. <laughs> they, they one, one was like rolled in and one sailed to the right. It was ridiculous. I'm confident we could throw the ball as far as him. Probably almost as far as him. Which Probably is si- too similar close. with a crow hop. Yeah. It's too close. It's just like. A competent right fielder out there, or even just like the great right fielder they have, Bryce Harper, who is suffering with a partially torn UCL. If he's out there, the Mets don't even score any runs. Yeah, you can't you can't run on Harper there, no shot. There was even a moment where like these balls were like popped up in the air, 
And I saw him getting back. I was like, holy shit, they're going to do it. Like, first inning, only one out, still the middle of your order. Like, maybe you hold the guy and wait for the next one. But it's still, uh, that's still Glenn Sherlock at their base. I don't know what's going on with Joey Cora. And I think your boy no. Dick Scott, uh, Joe, Friday was definitely Glenn Sherlock. Okay, Joey Cora was back for game three, so. Okay, well, there you go. So, but Glenn Sherlock channels into Joey Cora, and he, he put his foot in the gas, and the Mets got three runs out of it in the first inning. Also, after a nice Marcana clutch, two-out ribby single. Mark Cheerios, the man, loves singles. I think he might be allergic to extra base hits. Singles are his game, and that's fine because he's Marky Cheerios. After this, though, Pete hit a big, big, big two-run home run, still off of Bailey Falter in the third inning, and then Pete and Lindor had back-to-back RBI hits, and suddenly it was 7 nothing in the fourth. We had already chased Bailey Falter. We had already gotten to Nick Nelson. This is the recipe for beating the Phillies on their bad days. Nick Nelson, man. I love facing Nick Nelson. Yeah, we've seen him so much. And I was at my cousin's engagement party. So, you know, checking checking scores, some TVs here and there, keeping a close eye. Saw the 7 nothing. went, oh, all right, we're good. We can, we can kind of relax. And then when we were getting ready to leave the engagement party, go, oh, my God, what just happened? What, what's going on here? Well, pull back the kimono. I was, you know, 7 nothing game. I was sitting there. My dad met me there, so we had the car, so I knew I was going to be able to get back to Brooklyn pretty quickly. I was texting our buddy Drew. I was like, what are you doing tonight? He's like, I'm going to the comedy cell at 11. I was like, oh, the Mets are winning 7 nothing. I think I can make that. <laughs> the second I said that, the Phillies started the rally, and he saw TJ Miller do a live set there. He did like 23 minutes of improv, and they saw Bob Odenkirk in the crowd. What? Yeah, all at the comedy cell on a Friday night in the city. That's a, that's a great night. Right, great night, and I was going to join them there, but the Phillies just had this stupid, freaking annoying rally with two infield hits, a ball through the shift, Carrasco dove trying to make a diving play off the mound, he ended up jamming his thumb, threw a ball for no reason also afterwards too, and then after that he was kind of like, you saw him look a little uncomfortable, but didn't look like it was enough to send the trainers out, and you saw him not really finish his pitches, they didn't look as sharp, he stuck around, he let more guys come on base, a couple of runs came in, and then Jason Shreve, who has not been very good for the last few weeks. No. He came in to face left-handed catcher Garrett Stubbs, which Joe Girardi must have been taking his mid-inning nap because for some reason Joe JT Ramuto remained on the bench on an off day against a left-handed relief pitcher, but a fucking course on a 1-2 pitch. Garrett Stubbs just sent one into the fucking right field seats. I was so mad. This game was 7-6, and I, there was this Phillies fa- fan in my section who was getting shit-talked to hell the whole game. Really, like one of those like classic like really large dudes with like a beard that's like... It kind of is exact same from, like, right at his eye to, like, basically where his shirt is. Yeah. It's just, like, a bunch of hair. And he had an eagle sweatshirt. It was, like, exactly what you, oh. yeah. And then the second this happened, he just stood up. He just clapped. He looked at every single Mets fan in their eyes in the section and clapped. I, I respected Deser- it. Deserved it. That was a respectful way to do it. That was not very Philly-like. I'll say that. No, but, I mean, his son was there. His son was probably 10 years old, Max. So respectful. That was respectful. very reserved. Yeah, yeah. Only, only, like, the level B curse words. Okay. Shit. Yeah. Ass. Yeah. Crap. Crap. Well, crap's a good yeah. one. Crap's a classic. Crap's a great one. But this inning kind of screwed up with us another, like, really, really good start for Carrasco. And all the people who just checked out the box score, you'd be like, oh, the Phillies got to Carrasco. But realistically, the five and two-thirds, five earned seven strikeouts, what was going on beforehand was incredible. He was cruising solemnly through the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth innings. Like, he looked like in complete control. He was going to go do another one of those eight-inning outings when he just, like, cruised with the Mets with a big lead. It was great. He, he was heavy with the fastball and the changeup again. He only threw 10 sliders, but they got two whiffs. It looked decent. His fastball got up to 96 miles an hour. Like, that box score didn't tell the whole story. He was in complete and other control for this entire game until just a couple infield singles and then eventually chasing Shreve getting up a three-run home run. Yeah, it's just, it's annoying because, I mean, I don't think Carrasco has, like, haters necessarily by any means. No. But it's just more so annoying, like you said, because we've been banging the drum that Carrasco's been really, really solid. And, like, we knew that it wasn't going to stick forever, 
but this makes it feel like it's not happening or it's happening sooner than later, you know? Because, like, the, the ERA and all those numbers get inflated because of, like, just unlucky. Yeah, and no, I just – I even just wrote this note because I was listening to a fantasy baseball podcast Saturday morning, like, a recap stuff, and talking about how Carrasco was, like, had, had a rough start. He struggled. I was like, yeah. this is not – and again, if you're doing large baseball shows like that, no one's watching every game. That's impossible. You look at the box score, you make an assessment. I'm sure I have misspoken things on the first pitch podcast before, not watching games and being like, this guy had a good start, this guy had a bad one. Really, it was not true. But Krasko looked great. Krasko had five very clean innings, and it was literally two infield singles, a squeaker through the hole. He jammed his thumb, and then two of his five earned runs were when he wasn't on the mound. Like He looked very good, and it very, very comfortable with him, at least for the near future. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel great about Carrasco, but... Luckily for us, the Mets scored quickly right after that. A little bit of insurance, answered back. Great sign. After giving up those six runs, to get right back out there the next inning and get a run home, Tomas Nido had a leadoff walk, which as the Phillies bullpen. To give Tomas Nido a leadoff walk after you just put six runs on the board, what a fucking gift that was. That's, that's like one of those things where you're Joe Girardi and you just like you bang your head into the wall. You're like, what the fuck do I have to do to get this team to win? It's like that moment from The Office when Angela is dating Dwight. And he's like singing a stupid song or doing something ridiculous. And it just pans over to Dwight sitting in his chair. And he's looking at the ceiling. He's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> every single thing's crumbling around you. Why in the world did you just walk Tomas Nido? We got that run in. The Phillies made a dice in the eighth. Also, with Joelli, another some shoddy control, little things happening. But Seth Lugo came in, got out of it. Nice out. And Edwin Diaz saved the game. Trumpets were sounding. Made a game that was very easy, got very difficult, wound up being a pretty stressless end. Did you see Diaz's first pitch in warm-ups when he came out in the ninth? No. Sailed it. Right, in, I mean, like, straight into the netting behind home plate. Like, almost, like, directly to where someone's face would be in the first row. Wasn't even close. And I saw that on Twitter. They're like, yeah, but afterwards he was nasty. But they're like, you see that as your first pitch, you go, huh. I'm happy I missed that because there were two fans in my section, one directly in front of me and one directly behind me, and they were both had relentlessly bad things to say about Diaz. And I, I, I wasn't going to argue. I, was, yeah. I had a couple beverages. I was calming him down. I was like, hey, hey, hey. We'll know from the first pitch. We'll know from the first pitch. And he broke off an incredible slide of the first pitch of the inning. They were both like, right, you, yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. We're good. We're good now. This one guy's girlfriend behind me. I hope he's listening to this. Lord knows if he is. His girlfriend, for the last four innings of this game, was complaining about not being at DJ's down the shore. Oh. And I was hysterical. I just, I just couldn't stop laughing. Like I kept like <sighs> laughing to myself personally. That She was like, we could be at DJ's right now instead of watching the fucking Mets. Oh, man, I couldn't imagine somewhere I'd rather less be than DJ's Memorial Day weekend. Gross. But nevertheless, very good game from the Mets here. Jumped out early, ended up doing just enough to win, and got this series going on the right foot. Yep, and it led us feeling good into game two. Like you said, the anniversary of the famous asses in the jackpot game, which is just an all-time classic. No Syndergaard thrown behind Utley, getting tossed for not hitting him, and Terry Collins and Tom Hallian just going at it, which is still... One of the best baseball manager clips ever. Managers and umpires should be umped up or should be mic'd up at all times because that was gold. Did you actually see the hot mic from an ump this weekend? I think it was the Yankee game. Or the Ra- I think it was actually the Rangers and the A's game where a call got reviewed and they sent it to New York. And Chris Woodward was chirping at the umpire and he said, hey, once it goes to New York, it's their fucking call. Like, stop <laughs> arguing with me. It wasn't me. <laughs> the, uh, the, hot, the umpires, I'm sure, use consistently colorful language and that makes sense. But... I have a funny story about that ass in the jackpot game from my days in college. I hope my friend Ryan's listening to this. I know he listens sometimes, not all of them, but we had just a crazy, a crazy, crazy evening around that ass in the jackpot game. We were 
going over to my friend Austin's house. Had a new boyfriend at the time that we met a few times. We was like, okay, sure. We're going over pregame. We're going to a concert and a party together that night. This should be a fun evening. And Jorge's there. And this is the first time we've ever actually gotten to know him. And this dude, from like the second we walked in, we were like, this is a fucking crazy person. <laughs> I am, I'm terrified right now. He was telling these stories about how he used to perform these incredible robberies from things on campus he had like these fucking like you know how in all the college like the nice classrooms they had like those sick apple monitors yeah those like 30 inch gorgeous monitors got it right next to i have one right next to me motherfucker like three in the house three what does he need three for we we were just like (laughs) and he was like talking about weird things we're like this is fucking weird and my bisexual friend and his boyfriend were not as into baseball as ryan and i were knowing this was the first time the mets have played the dodgers since the playoff series of last year so like we're gonna Bring a laptop. We're going to watch this game. We're all going to have some drinks to have a good time. But we're going to watch this game while we all pregame and hang out. So, sure. So, this happened in the first inning. And by the time this had happened, Austin and Jorge were, like, off. They were, like, feuding or something. There was, like, a fight in the other room. And we're just sitting there, like, <laughs> like keeping an eye on the game. But I was, like, hearing screaming from a bedroom. Like, <laughs> oh, my fucking God. And then this play happened. And we both get up. And we start screaming, going ballistic, watching Terry Collins screaming FUs to Chase Utley, just going nuts. And this whole time this happened, we're just watching this game. Now it was being pitched, but I only remember who came in. But it was a it was a dead game instantly because Noah Syndergaard was thrown out of the game. And we had, if you look back at that clip, one of the funniest things is that the guys coming to talk to the umpires were Neil Walker, Ty Kelly, and Eric Campbell. That's an insane grouping of Mets. <laughs> that was that was the Mets infield that reached the postseason. But the game was dead immediately. And Ryan and I just sat there for like an hour and a half while these two had a major fight in the other room after we learned that the boyfriend was a psychopath. So crazy story. I'll never forget that day. And that makes me, that always makes me look more fondly upon the Aston the Jackpot day. Now let's talk about the actual game here. Cause again, anniversary, fun story, good stuff. Aston the Jackpot, fuck you, fuck you, Chase Utley. No first inning run though. No, no figure. Only, only time this series, real shame. Also big reason for that, Brandon Nimmo being scratched with, is now a wrist issue where even if Brandon Nimmo is healthy, there's always still just something he's not. that's not that healthy. It's just, it's probably the lack of modern medicine if we have to take a guess. <laughs> you can't stretch a wrist, though. They said it was on the slide from a couple days ago. Okay, I, we'll stop Actually, it might, have been, it might have been from the slide from Friday, because when he had that first inning slide against the, the first Nick Castellanos ridiculously bad throw, he kind of slid awkwardly around Garrett mm-hmm. Stubbs. And I think okay. it looks like he could have jammed it on that. Also, we didn't even mention Travis Jankowski going on the IL with a finger issue. Was that on the diving play? That looked like got caught underneath like, yep. a couple games ago. God yep. damn, yeah, that stinks. Playing play in San Francisco uh, in the, in the yeah. blowout that he came in for McNeil, who got hurt in that game. Yeah, so suddenly now it kind of te- it's, it's testing our center field depth because Canna's been playing there instead of Marte, which I found pretty interesting. Yeah, I think, again, I think it comes down to that thing. Buck is like, I want a good arm in right field. I, I really do. He seems to not be moving off of that. We're called to work all. Canna did have a good series out there, but... If this is long-term, I would think that that would not be normal. To be fair, he played center field in Oakland when Loriano had the suspension. So if you can play center field in Oakland well, and he was a plus OAA guy too in center field, probably can do it in city field pretty well too. He's just not nearly as athletic as I would say Brandon Nimmo is. I guess, and he shared that outfield with Starling Marte, so it's the same configuration. Yeah. Okay, so I guess it makes sense. And not also not saying that the A's are doing things perfectly right, but no, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be copying them right now, but yeah. But how about our boy? Because Nimmo, of course, was not playing. We had to find a new leadoff hitter, and you talked about Marte not being in center field. He was also not the leadoff hitter for Game 2 or Game 3. Luis Guillorme, King Louie. This dude is unbelievable. He at one point had like a, a on-base or a, I think, yeah, maybe it was an on-base streak. That was like seven or eight straight times he'd been on base. He's turned into a really good player. 
Like, just really good. First time his major major league career leading off, and he was on base in all four of his at-bats on Saturday. He is such an old-school player. Like, you know, we've talked about it in multiple episodes, but, like, you know Buck loves him. You know all the old-school fans love him. He's got no batting gloves. He loves to get dirty. He fouls, he'll, he'll foul ball 100 times. He doesn't care. He'll just foul it off, foul it off, foul it off. Never going to hit a ton of home runs. But the dude does exactly what we need. Get on base, have good at-bats, and play good defense. Like, it's... Oh, the Phillies would kill for a guy like Luis Guillorme. Luis Guillorme would probably have like the second most war on this Phillies team. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Besides Bryce Harper. He's just, he's really good. Like you said, on base four times this game leading off for us. Exactly what we need. And when we lose, one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball. Well, I kind of tweeted as a joke that is Luis Guillorme the second best leadoff hitter in baseball? And I put in parentheses besides Brandon Nimmo. And all the people that follow me that are like actual baseball people, who I think I lost a lot of followers. I lost like 10 followers oh from this tweet. Because people would look, George Springer, Mookie Bet, Tim Anderson. I was like, all right, you don't get it. Yeah, you're, you're missing the joke here, guys. Because then you got on base two more times on Sunday, and I retweeted, and I lost five more followers. <laughs> you, you're losing so many followers from that take? Yeah, because I think people, real baseball fans are like, oh, this guy's actually an idiot. I was following him because I thought he knew his shit. But coincidentally, we actually trailed for a hot second in this game. The only time we trailed this entire series besides the inning and a half after the Castellanos home run on Sunday, which I hadn't happened yet. So it was the first time we were trailing this whole series after a little, a little soft line drive from Real Muto that played a two. And he, I think it was the second, but maybe it was the third. Because right away, fourth inning, Jeff McNeil answered back with a very nice home run. And when he swings the bat like he swung it there in a low and inside pitch, he looks like a guy who could park 20 home runs again like he did with the rabbit ball. But through the rain, great call by Wayne Randazzo on the radio. And this team has made such a habit of answering back after another team scores. It's a pleasure. There's so much just gusto perseverance within this roster yeah no and mcneil uh had a good quote after the game because apparently there was an eagle flying around the stadium and he, he got up on a perch or where, where a ledge whatever it was and he just kind of sat there during the mcneil at bat apparently and mcneil said i was kind of staring out into space into nothing and then i saw something i don't know what it was it was a bird <laughs> like and he was like saying like so i saw it right before i took the at bat and i hit a home run uh, let's let's find that bird keep him I don't want to say cage the bird. That feels a little mean, but let's keep him in the stadium whenever McNeil's up at the plate. I don't know. Cage him if it has to. If that means Jeff McNeil's hitting home runs. If that was an eagle, that, that's a very that's an eagle that likes to travel. Because I don't think there's that many eagles hanging out around the, the five boroughs of New York. I think there's many eagles in general. I, don't, I think if there's any of them, they're, they're significantly structured out west. Maybe a couple in North Jersey. Maybe the island. Maybe. Maybe it could have been a hawk, but I like eagle sounds cooler, but... From that moment on, we poured it on. Wound up scoring eight runs in this game. Phillies didn't get any more after that Real Muto two-ribby single. Lindor had an tri- RBI triple, another single later. I think Pete had an RBI mixed in, and it was just it was just one. Beat this team, didn't look back. Very nice Saturday night in the ballpark. Yeah, easy. Taiwan, doing the Taiwan thing, which I think we're just going to become accustomed to now, which is pitch to contact, get soft contact, and be okay. Yeah, only one strikeout and two walks, gave up six hits, scattered across five innings, just very casually good. It's very fun to watch Taiwan pitch when you have at least a four-run lead. Yeah, oh, you feel great because he throws Incredible. Oh, fly ball over there, line drive over there, ground ball over there. It's not a big deal, not a big deal at all. And the other trend for Taiwan, I have been talking about a lot recently, his splitter was his most thrown pitch again on Saturday night. That's a few times now he's done that over the last month. It's a trend developing there, and I'm hoping praying that there's more whiffs to come from that because that pitch is getting an adequate amount of whiffs it's everything else that is not but this seems to be something as he becomes more comfortable with that pitch something that maybe could change the way he pitches our boy holderman too two innings in this one three k's he's just everyone's good. hip to him now yeah he's just really good we called him out arizona fall league remember we're like yeah this guy's got a little bit of stuff and even this year i was like keep an eye out for colin holderman coming into the season this is a reliever that could come up and make an impact 
he's by no means the best reliever in this pen, but for the job and the role that he has right now in this hierarchy in the bullpen, he is just dominating. He's been fantastic. And with that, he kind of has a very cool pitch mix going on for reliever because he has the color sinker, something like a Melanson has, and other pitch-to-contact relievers, but he's so young and he's so big, he throws them really hard. Like, to have that colored sinker, two pitches that move in opposite directions, that seems like he's tunneling kind of well because hitters don't seem to be able to pick them up, that are coming in 94, 95, 96, sometimes 97 miles an hour, you're going to have at least a nice little run here of being successful before even the league catches up or eventually in years you lose some of that velocity. So it looks like Colin Holderman is going to be a little bit of a piece here coming with this bullpen as we need help. Yeah, you're going to fill in for this Drew Smith role for the next probably couple days or however long it's going to be, which would be nice because Holderman's got good stuff. And then we had Lugo pitch in the ninth, which was weird because we haven't seen Lugo do back-to-back days like almost at all this year. And seemingly he did in a game that was pretty much over. But, I mean, it was fine. He ended up being okay. It's just, it's a weird call. Yeah, he was great. It's just this was an issue that compounded what happened on Sunday. If we would have lost on Sunday, this would have been the big story coming out of the series. That He only threw five pitches on Friday. He got just one out. He only threw, needed nine pitches to get through a ninth inning against the Phillies. But... You're up by six runs, and this is a guy who, as the bullpen is developing now, he is basically, not basically, he is, I would say, your second best healthy reliever at this given moment behind Edwin Diaz, probably probably still a hair more reliable than Drew Smith. So it's just weird that they threw him out there in a six-run lead, with knowing they had a game on Sunday, no off day on Monday, when they're already so finicky with him as is. And that, again, put us in a situation where Adam Adovino had to get a big out against a right-handed hitter on Sunday, rather than Seth Lugo, where... I would have been very comfortable with Adam Adovino pitching in a six-run lead on Saturday. But it also seems like Adovino is a guy who Buck likes more to come in with men on base, which I also think is counterintuitive, but it's also maybe, I don't know. But on Friday, Lugo came in with men on base. I don't know. It's weird. I just We're nitpicking here. There's one, one tiny thing we have to talk about. I just thought it was weird that Seth Lugo pitched the ninth inning of a six-run game. It would be really fun one day if this ever were to happen to sit down with Buck Walter and just say, talk to me about the bullpen. I would just like to hear your thoughts. I'm not going to ask you anything. I just want you to tell me what you know, what you think. If that was to happen, potentially. I mean, I don't know. It's anything's possible. Anything's possible. I don't know. We'd have to do that in a way that came off very, very unabrasive. Yes. And and polite. And I think we could. I think we could. I, we want to hear what you think about the bullpen. Just talk for 20 minutes i'm sure buck likes to talk a little bit i'm sure for sure it would theoretically have to be either like long into an interview we could possibly ever theoretically do with buck or it would be like the second time we talk to him yes he would have to like us and then we could ask him a baseball question yeah no not the first one for sure but hey first 30 minutes with buck however it falls would have to theoretically be nice happy life stuff history of baseball all this kind of shit yeah which I'm, i'm sure we could figure that out maybe someday i don't know we'll see how we do but yeah that was the sweep of the philadelphia phillies like i said they are 10 and a half games back of first place in the national league east which is just so nice the mets are really really playing some solid baseball right now i know the phillies again aren't one of the best teams and we have the nationals coming up next which again aren't one of the best teams right before this big west coast trip which is going to be a huge huge test for the mets but at least right now, like I don't want to say this gives us like a little breathing room, a little cushion, but the fact that we were able to take three from the Phillies here, everyone can take a little bit of a deep breath, get through Washington, play well against them. I don't want to look too far ahead, but the, that West Coast trip's huge. No, this gives us 
certainly some breathing room in this division. It kind of, again, toasted the Phillies in the divisional race, kind of. Not actually. We're only 50 games in, and we've seen the Mets blow crazy leads to the Phillies in the past. A lot of people on Twitter were talking about this killed the Phillies. That's just not true. They're only five games out of a wild card spot, and they still have a relatively talented team that will have a hot streak in them. Just happy that we don't have to see them until the middle of August. Even if the hot streak happens, it likely won't affect us for the near future. And the Phillies right now are six games under 500, and they're 3-9 and nine against the Mets. Like, what we've done to them has single-handedly tanked this first part of their season. Like, there's no two ways about it. If we have only played the Phillies six times, they probably have a slightly better record because they wouldn't have to run to the Mets 12 times before Memorial Day and lose nine of those games. Like, that's a big, that's a big strain on any team's schedule when you lose three quarters of those freaking games. Like, that's going to kill you. They only have three more wins than the Washington Nationals. Three more. That's a, that's a big part because of the New York Mets. We are just simply better than them. We have beat up on them. We've won 9 of 12. Just a fantastic job beating up the team that you're supposed to. And on top of that, if you remember, we lost the Phillies the first time we played them this year, correct? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. That eighth inning uh, game we blew back, yeah. way back in April, the day after we blew that stupid Nationals game, the last day of that series. So <laughs> Mets are 9-2 and two against the Phillies in the last 11, and that game was the one we should have won. Yeah, literally, that was the one where we're like, this is easy, we got this on lock. It's just, I really do think ever since that Lindor, like the big, big comeback, I think the Phillies have just kind of came into this like, what do we do? I don't know what to do against the Mets. They're better than us. They're really good. Also, on top of that, the Phillies have a lot of star power in this roster, but in the games that we played against them, our big-time players have really stepped up and done incredible things. And when you play a team 12 times, it's not really an indicative sample of everything, but it's enough games to really see who's doing what, when, where, and why. Francisco Lindor in 12 games against the Phillies, 12 runs scored, 11 RBIs. Keith Alonso in 11 games against the Phillies, 5 home runs, 18 RBIs, 360, 450, 8, slash line. That's a 1260 OPS with that. It's ridiculous. Starling Marte, 7 RBIs and 12 runs scored against the Phillies. Brandon Nimmo in just 10 games, 2 home runs, 9 runs scored, and 970 OPS. Chris Bassett in 2 starts against the Phillies, 1.54 ERA and 11 strikeouts. Edwin Diaz against the Phillies is a big one. Edwin Diaz has had some blown saves against the Phillies in the past, specifically 2019. Everybody remembers the Gene Segura day game home run. Six appearances, four saves, 13 strikeouts, only one earned run, and a 0.83 whip. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That is how you how you take care of business. I mean, you mentioned Lindor, Nimmo, Marte, our first three hitters in the lineup, has 33 runs in the 12 games that we've played against the Phillies with those three guys alone that they have scored. That's crazy. You could have jumped Pete in there, too. I'm sure he has at least 10. I only took track of the RBIs and the home runs because 18 RBIs in 12 games against a team with five home runs is ridiculous. It's nuts. He's absolutely dominating them. has dominated the Phillies thus far this season. We aren't done, but we are done for the foreseeable future. And of August course, 12th. August 12th? Next time we play them. Wow, it's a long time. That's a really a li- long time. It's a, it's a lifetime away. They, they could look completely different. They might have a new manager. They might have a new manager. I'm probably going to live in a different apartment. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's, I'll be in a different apartment, too. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> three yeah, years. Three big. That's uh, wow. All right. Enough about the Phillies now. We we beat up on them enough. They stink. They're a fourth place team. I'm going to say all that stuff as long as I can. Let's go wa- talk about the Washington Nationals now, who you guys will be watching that game tonight, probably maybe as you're listening to this episode. But we know the Nationals are not particularly good. I did say they only have three less wins than the Phillies, which feels kind of a little scary if you're a Philly fan. That's a good thing to scare a Philly fan today. Say you only have three more wins than the Nationals. That's fun. But the Nationals, bat, Nationals bats are getting hot too, so who knows? What are their, What's the pitching matchups for this one? Uh, I can't imagine it's going to be star-studded by any means. No, definitely not. Monday night, whether you guys are listening to this Tuesday morning when you're going to work, coming home from work, or sitting at work, 
You might be time traveling here, so you'll know what happened. We don't know yet. But we could assume that David Peterson is going to beat Eric Fetty, even though Eric Fetty has been a Thor in our sides before and actually has been pitching kind of well, which that would be really annoying if Eric Fetty shut us down. Tuesday night, we have Trevor Williams versus Patrick Corbin in a it's going to be a balls and play game. And then Wednesday, matinee before the Mets head out to LA for a four game set with the Dodgers. It starts on Thursday, which I did not realize that was a four game set until I just looked at the schedule. I didn't know it was four games either. There you go. Well, that one's going to be Carlos Carrasco versus Mr. TBA. We don't know. I think that lines up for Jonah Doan, but he's been really bad. So it could basically be anybody. I mean, could be Kay Cavalli. Who knows? Yeah, the Kay Cavalli would be cool. Although it wouldn't be because I want to. I want to wreck him if we're playing him. But I want him to do well otherwise. But yeah, I mean, the Nationals we know are not very good. Like you said, the offense starting to heat up a little bit. Soto's obviously a stud. Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz. I mean, we. Cesar Hernandez still hits it well too. Like he has good stats this year, having yeah. a lot of deep fantasy leagues, doing well. I want to say the Nationals are not the worst bad team because they can hit. There's at least some competent hitters. It really just is. We should be able to score a ton of runs. Their starting pitching isn't good, and their bullpen's even worse. Definitely, and a big key of that is going to be making sure Eric Fetty and Patrick Corbin do not throw six innings in these first two games, because with no off day, this bullpen's bad anyway. Just get these guys out of the game before the fifth inning, and you'll just be able to feast on this horrific Nationals bullpen, as usual. Yeah, I would. Uh, I really want another sweep. I want another sweep here going into that California series. I'm going to ask for a lot. You're sweep happy now. Oh, I'm very sweep happy. After the Phillies thing yesterday, I was I was doing the sweeping. I was sweeping up everything, sweeping up all the garbage, letting the Philly fans know to get out of here. It's ridiculous that we can have this good of a record, and that was our first sweep of the year. It's just unbelievably ridiculous. You know, like, uh, I feel like people say this at the beginning of the year, like, well, if you win two of three every series, you'll be 106 and 54 or whatever it is. And you're like, it's really hard to do, but the Mets are kind of doing it right now keep going now we're back to just needing to win two out of three because we lost one series now we got the sweep we grab that game back so i just keep doing two out of three two out of three we'll be feeling fine i'm sure we're gonna feel fine after this series too definitely and this series is very important because after this series the mets have four in la against the dodgers three in san diego three in anaheim then at home for three against the brewers so that is more than two consecutive weeks of teams well over 500 all playoff teams as well Yes, all teams that probably even will stick in this playoff race for a little while. Shockingly, the team out of that mix I'm the most skeptical of is the Padres. Yeah, I mean, me and you have been saying that forever. It's their pen and paper. They're just, they're dumb over in San Diego, it seems like. They just acquired so many, like such a high quantity of starting pitchers that they're able to get through enough games over and over again where it's fine, especially with Manny Machado hitting like 360 or whatever he's still hitting, but... Just gotta get, just get, get, get these wins in Washington, at home against Washington, and then take this West Coast trip one day at a time. Definitely. That's a perfect way for us to wrap up here. Episode number 96 of the Mets Up podcast. Make sure you guys are following us on all our social media at Mets Up, as well as the YouTube channel. If you want to watch the video version, Mets Up podcast, you'll be able to find us. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range. Follow me at Giraffe Neck Mark. Hopefully, I'm going to tease if you made it this long. Hopefully, we got some big news coming for you guys very soon. Some really cool news, possibly. This might take a little while. Might take a little while, but hopefully soon. We've been teasing it for, I don't know, two months now. We're getting closer. We're as close as we've ever been. So hopefully we can say something to you guys soon because we're really excited about it, and I think you guys will be too. Um, but until then, we'll keep you guys posted. We'll keep doing our episodes, keep giving you updates, tweeting, talking Mets, and uh, we'll talk to you guys on the next episode. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time.